from the Museum of Science Boston. This is Pulsar, a podcast where we answer questions from you, our audience. I'm your host, Eric O'Day. Thanks to Facebook Boston for supporting this episode of Pulsar. You may have seen bronze sculptures of animals when visiting the Museum of Science. In our Charles River Gallery, you can find several, including a great blue heron and an eastern painted turtle. And in our Hall of Human Life, our live axolotls are accompanied by a matching sculpture. We asked your questions to my guest today, Michael Alfano, their sculptor. Michael, thanks so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we got a lot of questions about the very beginning of the process for making some of these sculptures. So do you get to spend any time with the animals themselves? I do sometimes, yes. That's always a lot of fun. I had a great time with one of my latest projects, the axolotls. I got to see them in their aquariums. And the funny thing was that there was one axolotl who was kind of a photo hog. He just wanted to be constantly in the photo. And when I tried to take a photo of a different one, that particular axolotl would push everyone else out of the way and get in the shot. It was just hilarious. So it ended up being a sculpture of pretty much that axolotl? It was, yes. So other than hanging out with the animals themselves, is there anything else you can do to prepare for a sculpture? Yes, absolutely. I do a lot of research before the sculpture. Really, the first step is working with the museum to get their design, what they're thinking of, what their intentions are, where it will be displayed in the museum, and how the public will interact with it. That's some of the most important parts, even though it doesn't actually end up in the actual physical sculpture. Once that is done, then again, I work with the museum to get lots of pictures, and that could be working with the live animals, as in the case of the axolotls, or they have a wonderful collection of taxidermy specimens. So you actually have a stuffed animal in front of you, which is really pretty cool, seeing all these animals from around the world and specifically in the New England area to be able to take measurements, see how they look. That has to be done with the caveat to be careful because they're not always entirely accurate. They are stuffed animals. So you have to compare them against what the real animals look like and how they behave. And then when you're ready to sit down and start sculpting, can you take us through what steps happen for all the details? Sure. The big picture is I make the sculpture in clay, make a mold, and then cast it in bronze. Really, the first step is getting sort of the outline or the profile of the animal. Often when you see, let's say, birds in nature, you can't really get close to them. So just being able to know the silhouette of a great blue heron or an otter or whatever, as they may be moving by in a second, or they're sort of hiding in the trees or the reeds, knowing that silhouette is really important. So a lot goes into nailing the big picture, the outline, the profile of the animal. Then I get into the details. Like for instance, on the turtle, they looked really cute and cuddly, but when you look closely, they have these really big claws that are just like, you know, don't mess with me, essentially. And looking closely at the sculptures, it's not just the animal, but you often include pieces of their environment. So can you talk a little bit about adding props to the sculptures? Sure. The props are always interesting. If you see the merganser down at the Yorkie Gallery, he has a shell, something that they eat regularly. I was able to explore the bottom of a lake in trying to find the shell. During the winter, they had drained a local lake. So there was no water in it. I was able to just walk around the bottom of the lake, pick up shells, explore all this amazing stuff down there, was able to bring back some samples. 
and then working with the museum, we were able to identify the exact correct muscle. So you start working with clay. Can you tell us how that ends up becoming a bronze sculpture? The sculptures are cast with molten bronze. If you think of a brick or an ingot of bronze, it's melted down to liquid. So about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit and almost pouring liquid lava into a small mold. So if you imagine molten hot metal liquid being poured into the mold, the mold glows orange. And then as it cools down to black, the ceramic shell is removed. And then we have a bronze sculpture. And these bronze sculptures can last up to 5,000 years or more. There's historical bronze sculptures from the ancient Greeks and Romans that are 5,000 years old. So these pieces are also part of history as well. Now, we got a few questions about your background. How did you get into making this kind of art? Well, one of my first projects was a life-size box, Volpis Volpe. I was able to work with the Harvard Museum of Comparative Zoology. They have, I think, over 21 million specimens from all around the world and from up to like 150 years ago. So the specimen I was working with was from the late 1800s. And that's kind of interesting because in the hundred years that passed, there's actually been some physical differences in the foxes. So sort of knowing that comparison of what these critters in the same area looked like 130 years ago and how they look and act now is just really interesting. And again, working with the specimen, I'm able to capture the size, the anatomical details and all those specifics. And we got a couple questions about how you got into this. Did it start out with an interest in science or did it start out with an interest in art? I'm interested in all kinds of things, but very much so in science. When I was in high school, Carl Sagan's show Cosmos was very popular. That was one of my favorite shows and brought a curiosity into my science classes. Perhaps too many oddball questions I was asking my science teachers, which may have gotten them off of topic, but was always very interesting for myself and the rest of the classmates. And that continues today in terms of being very interested in the latest scientific discoveries, particularly in DNA and CRISPR technology, as well as being out in nature, hiking, backpacking. I love to mountain bike and lots of other fun stuff. So we got this question from a listener. I thought it'd be great to bring it right to you. How do you think that art can enhance a science exhibit? especially at the Museum of Science and with the animals. It's really a wonderful addition. Bronzes are very strong and durable, so the viewers can really interact, and I use that in quotes, uh, interact with the animals and pet them. The children get right up close into their faces, and that's not something that you can do with a live animal. You can explore those sharp claws and serrated beaks and all the other you know, really cool, interesting things in the sculpture. Another interesting story with the turtle is we did a beautiful patina on it, a dark brown shell color. And within a few weeks, because everyone was sort of rubbing the shell, every person's hand acted as a polishing agent. So in very short time, it became this bright gold finish, like a doorknob, polished, well-loved turtle shell. And it was just very heartwarming to see. You could tell people are actually taking advantage of being able to touch that sculpture. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And you can see exactly the parts that are most touched, the claws, the shell, 
the beak of the merganser. They're just, you know, this bright, sparkly bronze, sort of like at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, there's a maquette of Abraham Lincoln, the smaller scale version of the Lincoln Monument. And the shoes are that same bright gold. And it's just a good luck thing to rub his shoes as you walk by. The same thing with the animals. So we mentioned a lot of the sculptures that you have in the museum now, and you're working on a couple new ones for our upcoming Arctic Adventure exhibit. Is that right? I am, yes. I have four ivory gulls that I'm working on. They are very interesting because seeing, again, how things are changing so much with the global warming and their patterns, the way they move around the globe. So several of the gulls will have a GPS monitor on them. And the museum exhibit really talks about studying the gulls' movement over time and with the environmental changes. Well, Michael, thanks for talking to us today and giving us a little insight into how you make these sculptures. You're very welcome. Take care. If you'd like to have one of your questions answered by a visiting expert or a Museum of Science educator, you can email them to sciencequestions at mos.org. If you enjoyed this episode of Pulsar, don't forget to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or on Spotify, as well as leaving a rating or review for us. That's it for this episode of Pulsar. Join us again soon.